Appreciate it so much. Praise the Lord for the good singing that we've had today. I love the choir special and also that song we sang just a few minutes ago, Have Faith in God. Remember when I was growing up that my father had a, a mentor in the first church that he came to after he came to Kentucky when he went to school. And the preacher had a sermon that he preached where he just simply got up and he began with, Have faith in God. And he went off from there and talked about how we ought to have our faith in God. I, th- I thank the Lord for that, for that song. I'd like you to take your Bibles today. If you'd turn, please, to John chapter 15. Find in your Bible John chapter 15. Today I want to talk about friendship. And I really don't think that there is a person who can go through life and enjoy life without having good friends. I don't think that as a Christian that you can enjoy the fellowship of the church and enjoy knowing the Lord in, the, in a very special kind of way, in the best kind of way, unless you have some friends to share that with. We're thankful that the Lord has given us a church where we can have friends and we can have fellowship with one another. And when you think back over your life, there are probably periods of your life that are defined by certain friendships that you've had. I think about when I was a, a, young, a young boy, my father was a pastor of a small country church in Kentucky, that I had a lot of friends then. And whenever I think back on my life, in that period of my life, I think about those friends and all the different things that we did. Back in uh, last year, in, in the summer of last year, we went back to Kentucky and I performed a wedding for my daughter. And this wedding was performed in the same church where I was baptized over 45 years ago. And after the services, I met with some of the old friends that I had back then. Some of them I don't see very often. Some I hadn't seen for many, many years. But as we got together and began to talk about things, I found myself saying things like, do you remember back when we did this? And some of the things that we did, we probably aren't too proud of, but there's some things that we did as kids that kind of characterized that time of our life. So friends are very special to us, to be sure, and good friends are invaluable to us. So I don't think that it's any wonder that as we read the scriptures, Jesus speaks about friendship, and he uses friendship as the relationship that he has with us. One of the greatest blessings that you'll ever have in your life is when Jesus becomes your friend. Now the scriptures for today's message speak of Jesus as our friend, but there is something we need to learn about Jesus, and that is that when you become a friend of Jesus it may very well interfere with some of your other friendships. Now let's stand, if you would please, as we read about this from John chapter 15. Today we begin with verse number 12. I'm just going to read enough scripture right now to get us through the first point of the message. Later on we'll come back and read some more. But John chapter 15, beginning in verse number 12, we'll read to verse 17. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word today. Uh, How we really want to see Jesus as our friend, an uncommon friendship, a friendship like none of us has ever known before. 
And we thank you, Lord, that you do. Call us your friends as we put our faith and trust in you. Bless in this message today. Draw our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What is a friend? Well, Proverbs describes a friend as someone who loves at all times. A friend is someone who stands by you. And I suppose that one of the best definitions that I've ever heard of friend, of a friend is somebody who walks in when everybody else has walked out. We all value friendships, and we all know that our lives would be miserable if it weren't for the friends that we have. Now today, as we think about the friendship of Jesus, there are three areas that actually characterize his friendship. And there's some things that you'll find will be true once Jesus becomes your friend. And I want you to notice first this morning that when you become the friend of Jesus, you will enjoy happiness with your friend. Now, true happiness is found in Jesus Christ. And if you want to be happy in your life, here is one friend that you need to get to know, and you need to get to know him very well. The better, the closer friends that you are with Jesus, the better that your life is going to be. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus uses friendships to speak about our relationship with him is because this is very simply something that we can understand. Jesus gives us this because we know what it means to have friends. But as he talks about his friendship with us, he wants us to compare and contrast that friendship with our other friendships. Now, in verse number 13 of our text, Jesus brings up a scenario in which he says a real friendship can be proven. And he says in verse number 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, most of us will never come to a place in our lives where we'll have to say, it's either my life or my friend's life. Either I'm going to die or my friend's going to die. And we have to give our life for that friend. But this is one of the characteristics of Jesus' friendship. I want you to notice that a true friend will sacrifice for a friend. As I said, we'll probably never be called upon to prove our friendship in this way. It doesn't often happen, but we do know that sometimes things like this do happen. There have been times when a person actually has had to give up a life for a friend. They had to make a decision that I'm going to put my life in jeopardy to save my friend. But do you understand that it's really not quite fair to compare that type of sacrifice to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us? If a person gives his life for another person or to help his friend, all that he really does is just shorten his life. Now, I don't mean to belittle and trivialize the heroism that someone might display in giving their life for a friend, but the truth of the matter is that when a human gives his life for another human, all that he really does is just shorten his life. Because all of us are going to die at some time. And so we're going to die, whether we die today or whether we die 10 years from now, all of us will die. But do you understand something here? That that was not true with Jesus. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. But we know that Jesus was immortal. Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus is life itself. We remember he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus, the immortal God, did not have to die under any circumstances. Now, the truly remarkable thing about this friend's death is that Jesus freely chose to put himself into a circumstance where he would die. And I'm not saying that he could die if he did this, but he would die. He purposely put in place his, himself in that circumstance where we would have to give his life. 
Now, usually when a person gives their life for a friend, they're thrust into those circumstances. Some, something unforeseen might happen. And they know that it's possible that they could die if they take the risk. And in fact, they might die because they did take the risk. But it's not that way with Jesus because there weren't any unforeseen circumstances that caused Jesus to give his life for us. In fact, this wasn't a quick decision that was made. It wasn't hasty. Jesus had all of eternity to consider what this was all about. Jesus was with God the Father in eternity past, and he made a covenant with his Father that he would come to this world and he would give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And so Jesus willingly put himself into the circumstance where he would make that sacrifice. And when you think about it like that, it makes the words of Jesus even more remarkable because he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And the friendship of Jesus is far greater proof that he loves us than any friend that we could ever have because he willingly gave his life knowing that he would have to do this. And then there's something else that makes this more remarkable. It's that when Jesus made that decision to die, when the immortal God said that I will die for those that are my friends, when he made that decision, we weren't exactly his friends. We weren't his friends at all. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we were the enemies of God. Our life was totally against God. We hated the things of God. But in a very familiar scripture, Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He said, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we weren't his friends. We were his enemies. And in that decision, Christ decided to overcome that enmity and that hatred that we had for him and to give his life. So his death made it possible for Jesus to call us his friends. And so when Jesus talks about greater love, he's not really putting this on par with human love. He's really not trying to make a comparison to what a friend would do for another friend. What he's actually putting this into the realm that only God could know about. Only God could display this kind of love because the immortal God gave his life when he didn't have to die. When you have a friend like Jesus... Somebody that would do that for you. Don't you think that you could find happiness with that friend? Jesus is a friend who sacrificed for us. But I also want you to notice that a true friend will serve a friend. Now, there are many remarkable things that we could talk about when we speak of the friendship of Jesus. But this is also truly remarkable. And and really, it's one that's beyond what we would expect. I, I would like to be the friend of the President of the United States. I mean, I could just envision myself going to the White House and sitting down to dinner with George Bush, and perhaps we could become fast friends. I don't know. But there's one thing that I wouldn't expect George Bush to do if I was having dinner with him. If I drop my fork on the floor or I soil my napkin, I don't expect George Bush to go up and go to the kitchen and get me a new napkin or another fork. He's not going to do that because there are, there are people that are hired to do that, that are servants in the White House that are paid to do those types of things. So George Bush is not going to do that for me. But as we think about the friendship of Jesus, I understand my relationship to George Bush. I know where I stand with him, but what Jesus has done in serving me is to reverse that relationship. Because he actually came to this earth to take care of my needs, but then he also decided that he would serve me. Now, the Bible says that he left heaven. He left that throne of God in heaven surrounded by that emerald rainbow. 
He left those ivory palaces. He left golden streets and he came to this earth and he was a servant of men. And do you remember that Jesus demonstrated that in a very vivid way? How did he do it? He took that towel and he reached down. He bent down and he washed the disciples' feet. Now here's how Jesus puts this kind of friendship in verse number 15. He says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. A servant doesn't expect to know what his master does. The master doesn't share information with servants because that's not the servant's business. And yet Jesus, when he called us his friends, he said, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to tell you everything that you need to know. Now, what's Jesus teaching us about friendship here? A friend will serve his friends. And a friend of Jesus will follow the example that Jesus gave. Now, we look at the qualification that Jesus put on this type of friendship, and we find it in verse number 14. He said, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now, that's a question for all of us. Do you want to be the friend of Jesus badly enough that you will serve him? Now, Jesus wanted to be your friend badly enough that he was willing to come to this earth and to serve you. And the question that needs to be asked for all of us as Christians is, do we really have a disposition of obedience to Christ? And Really, I might even better phrase that, do we have a predisposition? And what I mean by that is that when Jesus asks, when he speaks to you, do you say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, without even knowing what he asks. Later, you find out, here's what I want you to do. A predisposition of obedience says, yes, Lord, I'll do it, no matter what it is. You just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Now, do you see how this shows us that we can have happiness with our friends? Because we achieve our greatest happiness when we are actually serving Christ. Now, Ray Stedman wrote this. He said, somewhere the idea has found deep entrenchment in Christian circles that doing what God wants you to do is always unpleasant. That Christians must always make choices between doing what they want to do and being happy and doing what God wants them to do and being completely miserable. Nothing could be more removed from the truth. Jesus said it was his constant delight to do the will of the one who sent him. The Father's gift awakened his own desire, and he went about doing what he intensely enjoyed doing. Now, do you understand that statement? He's saying that Jesus wanted to be a servant. I mean, this is the very thing that gave him the most joy, to bend down and wash disciples' feet, even though those types of things were far beneath the dignity of a king. And yet Jesus wanted to do that. And do you understand that when Jesus looked at the cross and he saw the suffering of the cross and saw what he he would have to do there, that still Jesus said, this is what I want to do because this is my Father's will and I delight to do the Father's will always. Now there may be some of you that are in a position today where you're miserable. There's really no joy in your heart because you haven't decided that you want to follow Jesus. You haven't decided to surrender everything to him. Now, miserable Christians are not ones who have decided they will do the will of the Father. They're not ones who have decided because of their friendship with Jesus that they will be unhappy to do what he asks. Miserable Christians are those that are outside of the will of God. And so there might be somebody like that today. You may be sitting here today and you're an unbaptized person. And yet Jesus has told us that you need to be baptized. That's a step of obedience. It's something that we do by our faith in him. We believe 
that we ought to do that. And so that's an act of obedience. Maybe somebody here today, you're not a member of a good Bible-believing church. For whatever reason that might be, you've decided that, that you're not going to follow Jesus to become a part where the Word of God is being taught. But Jesus so very, very clearly commands us, if you are my friends, you'll keep my commandments. You'll be in the place where God wants you to be. Now, thirdly, I want you to notice that Jesus was this kind of friend, and that is a true friend shares with a friend. Let's go back to this statement once again in verse number 15. He says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Now, once again, a slave does not know what the master does. A slave owner doesn't feel any obligation to share his plans with his slaves. He doesn't make any consultation with them. He goes about his business, and it's none of the slave's business what he does. But a friend, when you have a friend, that's different. One of the things that you do with a friend is you share with that friend. You don't keep secrets from a friend. Well, Jesus was very open, and he was very honest about this. He was totally transparent with his friends. He had no hidden agendas. And although the disciples really didn't understand everything that Jesus was saying, and they wouldn't understand it until later, yet Jesus was still willing to share all of this information with them. He wanted them to know that he would share with them because he was a friend. Now, could you be friends with somebody who was sneaky around you? Could you be friends with somebody who made plans for you without telling you what those plans are? Would you be friends with somebody who, who told you, would not tell you exactly what being a friend with them entailed? So you don't want a friend who's not open and honest, especially when that friend may hold some kind of a key that involves your future. And isn't that exactly what Jesus had? He had the key to the future of the disciples. And in being their friend, he shared with them all that that meant. And really... The decision of being his friends was not even their decision to make. Would you look at verse number 16? Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So you see what Jesus says? He says, I choose you. I'm not going to go into all the implications of that statement today. But I hope that you understand that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and if you have become his friend, it's not because you chose to be his friend. Jesus said, it's because I have chosen you. Now, we notice here also that Jesus speaks once again about fruit bearing. In the past two messages, I've spoken about fruit bearing and what that means. And do you remember that fruit bearing is to have the character of Jesus Christ reproduced in us? And so Jesus said, you need to have my character. You must keep my commandments, develop that character so that when you pray, you will receive everything that you ask of the Father. Now that's important and that is a positive, straightforward, joyful aspect of being the friend of Jesus. And that's knowing that when you pray to the Heavenly Father, he's listening and he'll answer what you want. Now, that brings me to the next statement about his friendship because Jesus was so open and honest with his friends, he wanted them to know exactly what they were in for. And strangely enough, though this next point doesn't seem to be very good, yet the disciples found in this that there is also happiness. The next thing Jesus says, if you are my friends, you will endure hatred from your enemies. 
Because that's really where the title of the message comes today. If you are for Jesus, then they won't be for you. Jesus warned his friends to know exactly what they were getting themselves into. And he said, here's what will happen to you. You'll be rejected. You'll be hated because of your friendship with me. You know that one of the complaints that can be rightfully made against evangelical Christians today is that many preachers will get up in the pulpit and they won't speak to you about the downsides. If there's a negative side of Christianity. Now understand what I'm saying here. Preachers will get up in the pulpit and they'll tell you about this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And many of them will say, we refuse to deal with negative issues. We're not going to talk about the negative things. And so consequently, if people become Christians, they think that the Christian life is one big merry-go-round and a funhouse every day. But it's not like that at all. And that's not what Jesus did. That's not the way that he put it. A friend tells a friend everything that it's, that's involved. And Jesus said, if you will be my friends, prepare yourself for this. Prepare for rejection. Prepare for hatred from your enemies. Now, we think about that and we say, enemies? Well, sure, we understand that. We expected to be hated by our enemies. But the truth of the matter is, these people would never have been their enemies if it weren't for their friendship with Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to verse number 18 and let's read some more because Jesus talks about this, about hatred from our enemies. And he says in verse number 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. Now since we're reading these scriptures and looking at this passage today on this side of the cross, and Jesus actually spoke the words on the other side of the cross... These words take on a very special meaning to us. There's great significance in what Jesus said. Because in just a few hours, Jesus would be taken by the chief leaders, by the priest, by the Romans. He would be mocked and ridiculed. Jesus would be put upon a cross. The nails would be driven into his hands and his feet. And while Jesus was right there writhing in agony upon that cross, they showed no compassion whatsoever. While he was suffering on the cross, they continued to mock him. And they said, if you are the Son of God, come down from that cross and save yourself and save us also. And so when Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he was just about to be the target of that intense hatred. Later, the disciples would look back on this night and they would remember as Jesus was hanging on that cross, they would remember that just prior to this, Jesus said, as the world hated him, they would hate them also. And they'll also remember the words, if you are my friends, you will be hated. Now, there's a good question for you. Does the world hate you? You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you're my friends, the world will hate you. Well, if you don't experience the hatred of the world, then perhaps you're not the friend of Jesus that you ought to be. 
Because this is exactly what happens to people who follow Christ. Now, when Jesus speaks about the world here, what, what is it that he's actually referring to? Sometimes in the Bible, the word world takes on different meanings. Obviously, sometimes it means the world, I mean the planet that we live on. Sometimes it means a world of unbelievers. Sometimes it means the world and making the distinction between believers and unbelievers. But here, the word world refers to the world without God. It refers to a godless philosophy of people and where they hate God, they hate the works of God, they hate the people of God, they hate anything that's associated with God. Why do they hate you? It's because you're different. The world hates somebody who's different. Think back when you were a child in school, and I hate to say this because it's sadly true, but sometimes if there's a handicapped child in a class, or if there's a child that's overweight, that the other kids won't have anything to do with them. They set them apart. They don't want to be their friends. Why? Because they're different than they are. William Barclay gives an example of this. He tells a story about Jonas Hanway. Jonas Hanway was, uh, lived in the 18th century, and he was the first English gentleman that started carrying an umbrella. Now, before this time, the umbrella was a woman's accessory. And so when Jonas Hanway started carrying an umbrella or using an umbrella, he walked down the street and people threw stones at him. They pelted him with stones. Sort of like when Jason started wearing that man purse. We wouldn't get too close to him. They're different. And so the world hates people who are different. They don't want to get too close to you. Well, Jesus said, you're different. And because you're like, not like the world, the world hates you. Now, let me point out to you rather quickly three things about this hatred. First of all, it's not you personally. Now, I suppose if there's any comfort to be found in the hatred, it's not you personally. It's not really you that people hate. What you are as a person, these people are fine with because you started out just like they did. What they hate is Jesus living inside of you. They hate it that because Jesus has come to live in your heart that you're something different from what they are. And so Jesus, quite frankly, Jesus is the real culprit here. If you want to know why they hate you, just look to Jesus, because it's all his fault. Now here's what happens because of Jesus living in you. What happens is your behavior changes. You start to do things differently than what you did before, and your behavior as a Christian becomes an indictment against their behavior. Have you ever heard somebody say, don't judge me? You don't have the right to judge me. And yet, do you know, if you're a Christian, without even saying a word, if you're what you ought to be, your life judges them. And they don't like that. Years ago, I used to own a construction company. And I would have to tell you, if any of you men that are in construction, you can can, uh, uh, verify this, that construction people can often be some of the dirtiest talking people that you can ever be around. I don't know why, but that just seems like that profession draws dirty-talking people, or they learn it there. But one of the things that I did when, when, of course, I've been a Christian nearly all my life. I was saved when I was seven years old. One thing I've never had in all of my life, I've never had a dirty mouth. I never used dirty language. And so there were people that I worked with and people that were customers of mine that they knew that I was a Christian. And often they wouldn't use curse words when they were around me. 
Now, you'll pardon me for saying this, but I've always thought that a person who curses all the time does nothing other than show abject, abject stupidity. They don't have a very good vocabulary. Something's wrong with their education if they want to talk dirty all of the time. But I didn't do that. And so there were people, and maybe they wouldn't, people, maybe they wouldn't even do this today. I don't know. But back then, people still had a little bit of respect for Christians. And so when they were around me, if they said something dirty, very often they would apologize for doing that. And you know why they did? Because they knew if they were going to be around me that they had to clean up their life. I mean, their, their lifestyle has to be different when they're around me if they want to be around me. Now, lost people don't really want to do that. They don't want your life judging their life. And so when they choose their friends, they're not going looking for Christians. You see, I, I don't think that you really have to teach Christians to, to choose their friends from among other Christian people. Because if you're the kind of Christian that you ought to be, lost people are not going to seek you out to be their friends. And when they find out that you're a Christian, they'll desert you. They don't like that. So you don't really have to teach good Christian people not to choose lost people as their friends. I mean, it just, it just happens that Christians hang around with other Christians or they won't have friends. Now, do you know what this is? This is Jesus teaching us. And do you remember what Jesus said in another scripture? He called us the salt and the light of this world. Why did Jesus use the word salt? Why does he call us that? Because salt is a preservative. Salt preserves and keeps meat from stinking and rotting. And what Jesus is saying is because you are salt to this world, you can keep some of that rot from going on around you. But then Jesus also said, you're light to this world. What does the light do? Well, you turn on the light and expose the darkness, expose the things that are dirty. Expose things that are harmful. You ever try to clean your house in the dark? It's difficult to do. But you turn on that light, you can see where all the dirt is. And this is what happens when you're around lost people as a Christian. Your life turns on the light. And they don't like their sins to be exposed. So they won't want to be around you. So primarily, this is not you personally. It's that character that lives in you. Jesus said, it's me they hate. Because I'm living in you, they'll hate you. So it's not you personally, but I want you to notice also, it is you particularly. Now, why would I say particularly? I want you to listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, get this very clearly, because Jesus is not afraid to come back and tell us about this one more time. The world hates you Because I've chosen you. That's what he says. They hate his work and they hate anybody who's chosen to do the work of Jesus. Now, I don't suppose, friends, that there's anything as much hated in the Christian world today is this doctrine that God chooses people. The doctrine of God's sovereign choice. And I'm not saying that just lost people hate the doctrine. I'm saying there are Christian people that hate this doctrine as well. And there are some Christians even around us who would rather see this church crumble from the inside and to see Mark Smith and the Berean Baptist Church go away because we teach the doctrine that God has a sovereign choice. And you know that's a very sad position to be in, especially when Jesus has so much to say about it right here in the Gospel of John. Back in chapter 6, Jesus said that no man could come to him unless the Father draws him. And when Jesus started talking about election and about this choice that God makes, the Bible says that many of his disciples turned back and would follow him no more. 
In, in chapter 8, Jesus brought up the subject again. And the Bible says they took up stones to stone him. So it doesn't surprise me at all that people hate this doctrine. People who don't really understand it don't like preaching about sovereign grace and that God has a sovereign right to do exactly what he pleases. Now, I say that God chooses, and I'm thankful that he does choose because if he hadn't chosen me, I'd never go to heaven. And there's not one single person who could ever be saved if God in his mercy and his grace did not reach down and choose us to be his friends. This is what Jesus is talking about. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, I'm not preaching on the doctrine of election today, but if you ever wonder if you've been chosen by God, then I only have one question to ask you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins and that by putting your faith and trust in him, you can go to heaven because of that sacrifice that he made? If you can say yes to that question, then I can tell you, yes, you've been chosen. Because those who have been chosen put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll also tell you this, that if you have been chosen by God and you can make the determination, I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the inevitable outcome. You will be hated by your enemies. Now, it's not you primarily. It's not you personally. It's you particularly because you, among all others, have been particularly chosen. But I want you to notice another thing here. It is Christ passionately. Now, the key to this hatred is centered directly in Jesus. Why is it that the world hates Jesus so much? Well, there are two reasons. Number one, they hated his words. Look at verse number 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. So Jesus spoke to them, and his words left them with no excuse. Now, you see, if Jesus had not come and spoken to him, then they might have said, well... We didn't really understand all about this. We didn't know about this. And so we didn't choose to follow you because we simply didn't know about you. But he says, now that I've come, they don't have an excuse. They can't say, they don't know about me. And that's the reason that they don't believe. The excuse is gone. And I would say to you today that as of this moment, you'll never be able to make that excuse. You'll never be able to say, I haven't heard it. I don't know about it. And so therefore, I didn't believe. It's not a valid excuse anyway because the Bible teaches us we're all sinners by choice. That's what we want to do. So the excuse is not valid anyway. But on top of that today, I'm telling you, since you have heard the message of Jesus Christ preached this morning, you have no excuse. If you ever thought that you had an excuse, you don't. And the Bible teaches us that a person who would leave the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and reject him as Savior, hell will be much harder for that person because they've heard. Now, I'm sorry to tell you, if you're here today and you leave without receiving Christ, it would be better for you that if you were born in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa, in the Congo, in Brazil, it'd be far better for you to live without ever knowing a single modern convenience that the world has to offer than to hear the message of Jesus Christ preach and then reject that message. Jesus said, they hate me because they no longer have their excuses. I've spoken to them. And friends, Jesus has spoken to you today through the message and through his word. Secondly, why did they hate him? They hated his works. Now he says this in verse number 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. So what are the works that he's talking about? Well, 
there are these seven signs that John brings about and tells us about in the book of John. You remember that? We got past all of those already. But John presented seven special miracles that proved that Jesus is the Christ. Later, he comes on to the end of the gospel. We'll read about it in a few months. Where he says, if, if, if all the things that Jesus did were written down, the world could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did many wonderful works. And in those works, he proved that these must have come from God. Mortal men do not do the works that Jesus did. And so they hated him because his works show us that we are completely morally bankrupt. Now, we think that our works are pretty good. Jesus had this problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They thought their works were pretty good. But when you put those things up next to Jesus and the kind of works that he did, it only exposed the shame and disgrace of what they did. Now, you might think that your works are pretty good. And lots of people do. They, they look at the things they've done. They look at their religious works. They look at the rituals that they've gone through. They look at the rosaries that they've said. The numbers of times they've fingered the beads. They think about the crucifixes that they wear around their necks. They think about the sacraments that they've kept. And they say, I must be pretty good because I've done all of that. But when you put those things up next to Jesus, you find they're all totally worthless. And you find out that you can never, ever be good enough. You can never reach the righteousness of God through anything that you do. So Jesus said, they hate me because that my works expose how totally unrighteous that they really are. But now I need to hurry on because there's one last part that I want to show you. You may enjoy happiness with your friend because Jesus is your friend. If he's your friend, you'll endure the hatred from your enemies. But thirdly, you will experience harmony with the Spirit. Someone wrote a song that said, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Another songwriter said, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Remember back in John 14, 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. How could Jesus say that when in just a few minutes or at most a few hours, he would say what he spoke right here? You're the enemies of the world. The world hates you because of me. So how could he say in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. And, let, and yet in John 15, verses 18 through 25, speak about how much the world is going to hate you. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, we actually find it right here. Look at verse number 26. He says, but when the comforter is come, that's the Holy Spirit. When the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from my Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus told the disciples, the comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit will continue to bear witness of me. And because of the Holy Spirit in you, you will be able to endure all the hatred of the world. You'll be able to go through those trying times. So when he said, let not your heart be troubled, he knew that the Holy Spirit was coming. Now we're going to come to this later in John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John, who recorded those words of Jesus, also wrote in 1 John chapter 5, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So you see, here's where we find the secret. 
the friends of Jesus, despite whatever would befall them, despite trials and tribulations and heartaches that would come upon them, Jesus still says, you will overcome the world. Don't worry about the hatred. You will overcome the world. Now I want to leave you with this last statement on your listening sheet today. The promise of the Holy Spirit was a totally life-changing event for these disciples. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to them. He gave him to you, and he gave him to me, if you're a friend of Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. He gave them seven life-changing words, and we find these life-changing words in John 14, verse number 20. They are, you in me, and I in you. If you choose to be a friend of Jesus, you'll not be a friend of the world. If you're for him, they'll not be for you. But that statement makes all of the difference. And that's because when you trust Jesus as your Savior, Jesus comes into your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit, and your life surrendered to him is the secret of your productive fruitfulness. Your life surrendered to the power of God by the Holy Spirit is the secret of happiness with your friend. My question to you today is, have you trusted him? Do you know him as your personal savior? Have you committed your life to him? Have you become his friend? And if you have, you can expect hatred from the world. If you're for him, they're not for you. But you can know this, the Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart and he'll help you to overcome all the difficulties of this life. I encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, believe him and he'll be your friend. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are amazed at the work of Jesus Christ. We're amazed that this person who didn't have to die, our God who didn't have to die, came to this world to give his life a ransom for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ who forsook all, who put behind him all the glories of heaven and became a servant of men. And Jesus says, if you'll be my friends, I'll take care of you, I'll watch over you. The Holy Spirit will be with you, and you can endure all the problems that come with being his friend. Lord, I just pray that you might speak to some heart today. Draw us close to you. Speak to some soul that needs to receive you as Christ and as Savior. Also, Lord, speak to people in our church who need to come into a more intimate relationship with you, to obey you, so they can show the world that they are truly your friends. Blessing this invitation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.